Angelina of Murder Murder News, and this here is our weekly catch-up and friendly murder chat that you get to sit in on. Yay! We started Murder Murder News to sort of create something that was missing from our lives. All we want is to be a part of a cult, but not a cult. You know, like a cool commune without all the icky stuff like manipulation and murder. I mean, there would be plenty of murder because we're talking murder all the time, but we don't want to be involved in any murders. It'd be like the good stuff, like hair braiding. Exactly. We just want to sit around, braid each other's hair, watch true crime documentaries, make spooky crafts, and hang out with baby goats. Definitely baby goats. We're thrilled to hang out with you in whatever capacity we can. Definitely not in person. Please stay far away from me. (laughs) Half kidding. Um, But really, even Aurora and I are forced to hang out virtually, of course, so we don't see any of our friends in person, which I think creates this kind of social void that can only be filled by you and all of your friends subscribing to our podcast and sending us your comments so you can get in on the chat. We love making true crime content for you. And we have an amazing writing team at murdermurder.news. We have our YouTube channel if you like video format. And of course, we now have this podcast. So we so appreciate your support either through Patreon or buymeacoffee.com. You can join our cults for as low as $3 a month. And member benefits include things like a shout out on our show, exclusive monthly video episodes, amazing merch made by the very talented Angelina, (laughs) (laughs) and early access to tickets for our live Zoom events, like our trivia night that we just had uh, back in December with Rebecca Sebastian from Yellow Tape Trivia. It was so much fun. So much fun. And also we have an upcoming event that we'll be announcing soon with the Luminol podcast. So you'll get exclusive access to that. So please do check that out. Our Patreon can be found at patreon.com slash murder murder news. And our buy me a coffee is buymeacoffee.com slash murder murder. Yay. Thanks in advance <laughs> for all of your support. We love it. So let's catch up. How was your week? What have you been up to? My week has been pretty low key. I'm still just getting to know Budapest and um, like I I am vegan. And so sometimes when I travel, it's sort of hard to find things to eat. Right now I'm staying in an Airbnb until we get into a permanent place. And in this Airbnb, we have one very thin bendable steak like knife. (laughs) We have no cutting board. And, um, and that knife like won't cut through a tomato or like anything useful. So you got to get creative. (laughs) Right. So like the option of cooking has not been an option. And so I've been using their version of Uber Eats, which is called, I think, Walt here. Mm -hmm. And I have, there's like, there's so many vegan restaurants in my neighborhood. There's so many, and I've tried all of them now, or at least I'm working my way through it. And I have just been enjoying going on this voyage of Hungarian vegan food. Yeah, that's amazing. That's so ideal that they have so much great vegan food. And uh, especially now, like you've just moved to a new place and you don't have much opportunity to really explore it and all it has to offer like you normally would when you move to a place. But like you're doing the taste test tour, like from the comfort of your own home. (laughs) And that's just perfect. It's the only tour I really ever want to go on. Exactly. Same here. (laughs) That's like the that and like and like seeing um, animals that don't live in the city where I live. (laughs) Those are my two favorite things about traveling. (laughs) You know, it's interesting because, uh, 
Some countries have stray cats and mm-hmm. some don't. And that is weird. Hungary, yeah. And it's it really is about, you know, like how fancy and wealthy is a country that they can afford animal control, that they can kind mm. of keep animal populations um, under control and spayed and neutered. Mm. And when I was living in uh, Bulgaria a couple years ago, they have so many stray cats and dogs. Wow. Which is not a necessarily complaint. I know that's not great, but God, they were so friendly. But and it's cute. nice to meet and, them. Yeah. Right? Like, mm-hmm. I kind of like meeting an occasional like street dog. I have a lot of <laughs> alley cat nice. friends. I have to be honest. <laughs> that's great. You know, I never saw, like, I hardly ever saw any street kitties in Montreal. And I was kind of oh. wondering about that. So you actually have street cat friends. They live in certain neighborhoods. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They're uh, like the plateau is swarming with them. Um, but my alley in particular has, I'm going to say probably six or seven resident alley cats. And these are like the ones that uh-huh. we know them. They, um, I think they're mostly like owned by people, but they're just predominantly outdoor cats. Um, so some of them have tags and we know their names and like they come, uh, when we call Aww. them to come say hi, but like, we're, we're trying not to socialize too much with them now because like, uh, you know, we talked about before about like, uh, COVID germs on pets, like fur. And I mean, I don't think it's a huge risk, but some of these cats that are so adorable, like I'm not sure that someone didn't just uh, kiss all over them two seconds ago. <laughs> so, yeah, hmm. it's probably not worth the risk, even no. though that must be very hard for you. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you are a cat person. Oh, yes. <laughs> and like, I love cats, but you love cats. And so I imagine that must be very hard for you to do. Uh-huh, for sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd bring them all inside if I could, but they would destroy my home. <laughs> Though maybe I I could start like a badass cat colony. I like uh one of the weird things that happened to me this week is that my cat um Dolly, who is like my adventurous brat of a cat, my younger one. Um, she's 10 still, mm-hmm. so she's not that young, she's but she, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, but she spent, um, a night under the house in our disturbingly creepy basement. You, uh, have seen my basement because this was one of the first things I showed you when I moved into this apartment, which is I like, I have never seen so many creepy, creepy yeah. spiders in my entire life. Oh my it God. was terrifying. The kind of bugs that it like, was totally a murder basement. Yeah. The kind of bugs that live down there, I have never seen in any other context. Like they just, it's Uh -uh. its own ecology. And like, I cannot imagine what kind of creature (laughs) she was hunting and eating down there, but she like had a good time. And uh, luckily it's cold enough that she didn't want to just stay down there forever. But I feel like if she could stand a night in this basement, it reminds me of like, you know, on uh, Game of Thrones, like in the, the sort of dungeon area where they lock people up, prisoners up and stuff like that. It reminds me of that. And like, that's what my little storage locker in my basement looks like. And like, if she can sleep down there, she's been promoted to guard cat. She is the biggest badass of the oh house. She's protecting me from, uh, you know, potential intruders. I'm, I'm positive. She's, she's the tough cookie of the house. You could not pay me to sleep in your basement. No. So you're right. I'm actually very impressed with her ability to like be comfy <laughs> enough to stay down there and to not have had a complete meltdown. No, she at wants your, like, to downstairs door, just like scratching, scratching, scratching. Yeah. Like, oh my God. I'm so impressed. That's what we couldn't find her. Cause she was just happily hanging out down there. Like, ew, she's a creep. Yeah. She's gross. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, speaking of my weird old house. So the, the reason that my basement is like that and the reason that everything is like a little bit strange in my house is that it's like a hundred year old building basically. And I actually just received a letter this week with some interesting news. Apparently, um, so Montreal has like pretty good drinking water on the scale of like what's good, tasty, clean drinking water Mm. in a city. However, my supply comes via a like hundred year old pipe made of lead. (laughs) So I've just learned this and uh, they just send us a letter like, hi, sorry, your pipes are made of lead. So even though our water is like good, maybe don't drink it and like probably, you know, get filters for your shit. And so that's where I'm at right now. I I put a filter in my shower already because we have hard water and it smells like bleach. But now that I know that there is lead involved (laughs) and we're stepping it up. Chlorine is not good, but lead is infinitely worse. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So here's an interesting thing about lead. Hmm. So we know it was used in paint. That's usually what we get warned about moving into a building that Mm -hmm. there might be lead paint in the walls, yada, yada. Well, it used to be in gasoline. It used to be kind of everywhere, like throughout Mm -hmm. the 70s. And I think maybe even as late as the 90s. Yeah. And... I don't know. I would love it if somebody had more information about this or knew something about this. But my husband is very big into conspiracy theories. And we were once having a chat about the rise of serial killers in the 70s. (laughs) And there's different theories about why there were so many. Some people say that there really weren't more than there are now. Now they're just getting away with it. But nonetheless, there's an interesting theory uh, that you can actually look some of this up about how lead makes people violent Hmm. and they were uh so basically like statistically crime was on the rise during the 70s in general and it's theorized that part of that could be because of lead and gasoline and lead just sort of in walls and everything and we know that the way that it reacts with the human brain is to make somebody react more violently so it's not a terrible theory and maybe it's not coordinated specifically or correlated i should say um specifically with serial killers but Mm -hmm. it definitely does make people violent so there's there's a rage component for sure. And I know like Angelina, stop drinking that water. I have to. <laughs> I'm like, can I sue them? If I have like an outburst and like, you know, bad results <laughs> that I have to deal with, then I'll sue the city. Louis all like, Angelina, put that glass down. <laughs> <laughs> Something in this water. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but they used to put it in like tin cans and people are like eating beans out of these cans. The weirdest thing I remember hearing about is, you know, those like mini blinds, like um, they were super popular in the 80s. Um, People were putting them on their windows in nurseries. And I guess the babies standing in the crib would like chew on these mini blinds. And so I think like, yeah, babies from I'm going to say the 60s, 70s, 80s, all of them. Gotta watch out for what kind of lead they. How much lead did I eat as a child? Yeah. Damn it! Yeah, I don't know if you ever shed that either. Does it just build up in you? You just become more and more lead. I still got that lead. Yeah. I'm on the lead. Got too much lead in your system. This is. Uh, um. So, uh, maybe something a little less uh toxic. Uh, what? <laughs> what else have we been doing this week that, that's not as scary? Just light, light stuff. I don't know. Um, 
It's still January. Isn't that nuts? Like this feels like we've already had 2021 for a year. Um, but it has been three years. Exactly. Since it was December. But surprisingly, it's still January. So I'm actually not late on my New Year's resolution that I'm actually working on, which is like I'm trying to do more zero waste stuff. Mm. I've been like perusing Etsy and there is so much zero waste like cleaning products and there's like fake paper towels there's like reusable washable Swiffer cloths there's like a little bit of everything my favorite is the solid dish soap which um this is our second one we got one as a gift and it lasted us like eight months of dishes for this one little pot yeah so I'm doing another one and I obviously like to keep it local as much as possible if I'm trying to reduce our impact. Basically, the thing here is that it's like I don't want the uh, crisis of the pandemic to overshadow like the ongoing environmental crisis for all of us. Like we just forget about being environmentally friendly because we got other shit to worry about. So we've got so much Amazon coming to our door. Yeah, no, exactly. So I'm trying to get local stuff. But uh, another sort of um, component, I guess, is I like to try and shop from the true crime community because there's actually so many makers. And yes. I just like in a true crime maker group, I just put a word out in order to find um, what I wanted to buy this time. So it's the, you know, we got some contacts for that for sure. If you check out our site, there's a whole lot of like monster makers and you can find everything from like clothes to soap to yes, whatever, whatever you want to buy. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of which, you all have to check out a specific murderino maker that I just discovered on Instagram recently called Killer Kitty Co. Oh. Is their Etsy name. And they make catnip toys that oh, are yeah. shaped like, like scary things, like a severed finger. There's a bloody knife. And like a, a bloody axe. Knife. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And there's also a Twin Peaks line. Of their kitty toys too. That's so cool. And they're so cute. I saw like I saw one of our friends that makes a murder mystery game. I can't remember. I can't recall right now who posted it. But I saw it. I don't have any cats right now because um, my little uh, Tasmanian devil dog, (laughs) Sebastian, would eat a cat if he could. And he does not get along with kitties. And I actually had a cat when I first got him. And he chased her so much that she ran away from home. And I felt so bad. Like we hung up signs around town. I think like she was so beautiful. She was Havana Brown. um, And she was actually like my best friend from college's cat that she had uh, sort of like abandoned at my house. You just said she was brown? Yeah, Havana Brown. Oh my God. I love brown cats. I, I can't They're believe I've so never cute. told you about Coco. Her name was Coco Chanel. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and, uh, but I felt so bad. She came to live with me once when my best friend had come to stay with me while she was in law school. And she was like dog sitting and house sitting for me while I was on a like trip for a month. And when I got back home, I was like, okay, I'm going to book a flight for you and Coco to get back to Florida. And she's Mm -hmm. like, oh, I forgot to tell you, Coco is staying with you. I don't have a home when I get back. I'm going to be like staying in a hotel and I can't have a cat there. So she's just going to live with you. And I was like, well, I guess that's fair since she was just dog sitting for me. (laughs) And she was so sweet and lovely. And I had her for years. She was such a little cuddle baby 
movies. She was so tiny. And then Sebastian the Terror entered the scene and he like just could not stop chasing her. And I got Aww. a trainer to work with him and we were trying to get everybody to play nice. And one day she got out and she didn't come back. And I and think she, she became the most around beautiful the alley cat in the world. <laughs> run away. Mm-hmm. Yes, my little runaway. But yeah. I think like another family probably took her in because she oh, was young sure. and she was beautiful. And mm-hmm. I lived in kind of like a quiet area, Pasadena. Mm-hmm. So like, it's not like there was a lot of traffic. It's not like she got hit by a car. I think somebody right. just loved her and took her in. But anyways, I don't have a cat now. And I ordered some of these toys for Angelina and your kitties. And I can't I wait to see them. We're going to so post excited. pictures. I'm going to post pictures, <laughs> videos. You're going to be so sick of seeing it. But I'm going to have so excited to see them play You will not be sick of seeing it. <laughs> oh, man. Never. Um, how much snow do you got over there in Hungary? None snow. None snow. Ah, that's surprising. Okay. So here's the deal. Um, it's a treat and you're going to be so mad when you hear this. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish that I knew Celsius, but for all of you Americans living here in Montreal, it gets to be negative 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. That is a real number of cold that you cannot <laughs> even fathom until you've experienced it. And it it's is like terrible. icicles on your eyelashes cold. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I lived in warm places throughout the years. I lived in Florida. I lived in Texas. I lived in LA. I lived in Mexico. And right now um, it has been pretty warm in Budapest. It was for Americans, 55 degrees. Angelina, I'm going to guess if I had to guess, um, like maybe 10. Let's see. Maybe like somewhere between seven to 10. Let's Um, see how close I guess Celsius. I don't know how to spell Fahrenheit. But nobody does. <laughs> no one will ever know. Now that we all have autocorrect and auto word, we only need to know uh, how to spell half a word. Um, so, yes. so I know the first couple <laughs> of letters. 55 degrees Fahrenheit in Celsius, which I also don't know how to spell, um, <laughs> is 12. 12.7. So 12.13. I, I guess Very too low. close. So warm. It's been quite warm here. And there is, they have been talking about snow in the next like couple of days, but it's still a bit above freezing. Wow. We have so, so um, much snow. Like, I, but it's been warm. I think we got like at least another three, four inches last night. Ugh. Yeah. So it, we, we've had like three, four big snows in the past like few weeks. And we now have like a couple of good feet on the floor on floor. We have a couple of good feet of snow on the ground. And, <laughs> right. and my partner has been snow skating, uh, which is like a skateboard on the snow without wheels. And uh, it's smaller than a snowboard. Wow. It's like a weird hybrid thing. And I definitely am not brave enough to even try. Like a couple of times he's been like, oh, do you want to just like give you. it one go? And I'm like, absolutely not. Mm-mm. But I'm happy to help building... Um, ramps and uh, jumps and stuff like that. So I've been working on that, which like plays into like the, I guess the thing I haven't done since childhood that I kind of miss, like when I'm out in the snow, I might as well make the most of it and build some shit, you know, it's like, uh, just, just walking in it is horrible. So that, that makes it a little easier. Plus there's even podcasts about snowscape, which, uh, because Louis is just that into it that he's listening to podcasts about it. And it's actually cool because we, uh, 
at this moment that we're also new in podcasting, we're just listening to every other podcast we listen to. We like uh, sort of compare ours against it and just make sure everything sounds cool. So like every potential podcast out there that we can give a listen to is like a helpful tool in assessing where we're yes. at. hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. I love that. Support yeah. podcasters, please. Oh yeah. <laughs> so what was your story this week? Well, mine is incredibly exciting news for any true crime enthusiast. Mm -hmm. It's like anytime there's some kind of update with an old timey serial killer case, like there's a new break mm -hmm. in the case, like how excited were we about the Golden State Killer getting mm -hmm. caught? Anytime that sort of thing pops up, I get very excited and I know that you all do too. So in this big news on Monday, a victim of the Green River Killer was finally identified after her body was discovered 37 years ago. Wow, that's a long, long time. Right. So for 37 years, she's been a Jane Doe. And, uh, you know, there's been a whole lot of experts trying to find her identity. I even read that there's one expert that will go into a little bit more detail of how she played a role. But it um, she, on a podcast recently, she said it's like her number one Jane, Jane uh, Doe she wanted solved. Oh, my God. It's like God. her biggest thing that keeps her up at night. So she got her way and I'm so excited for her. Oh, that's such happy news. Yay. Yes. So let's talk about this a little bit, um, how she was found, all that sort of thing. So her remains were found in a swamp behind a Little League baseball field near Seattle-Tacoma International Airport in 1984. Wow. And the way she was discovered is super, super terrible. It's something right out of a horror movie. It's just so sad. Mm -mm. So on March 21st, 1984, the manager of the baseball field's dog had been playing in the field and he came back home with what looked like a human bone. Oh my God. Like, can you even imagine if your dog like runs outside and comes back with like like, I don't even know how you would know it was human. I guess yeah. maybe you have a feeling about like a gut feeling yeah. about this. I think you would. Cause like, I've seen dogs pick up, like I lived out in the country for a while and I've seen dogs, um, you know, come out of the woods with like a piece of a moose leg in their mouth. And you're like, Oh, <laughs> and like, you know, that kind of thing is weird, but obviously more expected when you're like in an area where they do a lot of hunting and stuff like that. So I'm guessing that anywhere they dispose of a human body, like it's probably an area where hunting and stuff like that is possible. But when you see your dog come back with a bone, it's like, you know, when you just see an object and you have a weird feeling about it and you're like, oh, that just doesn't look quite right. Like, I feel like you totally get that feeling with a, a human bone that a dog was chewing. Like you just know. Ugh. 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 So, so sad. So yeah. terrible. Well, shortly after police found the decomposed remains of a young girl at the time they estimated to be about 12 years old. Mm. So child bones found super sad. Mm -hmm. Her bones are found mostly intact and in a fetal position. And it's believed that she was murdered in the spring of 1983 based on the state of decomposition. Mm. So since they didn't know the identity of the victim, investigators referred to her as Bones 10, which later became Jane Doe B10. So you can kind of, if you want to do some research, you can look that up. I, I have never heard of anybody being referred to as bones or bones and a number. I've never heard of that. I've heard of obviously Jane Doe's, but bones 10 is like a, 
another level of cold, <laughs> I think. Sounds you know? very casual. I, yeah. I found that to be a little too casual for my taste. I don't too. like it. Mm. So the doctor that I mentioned earlier that this is the case she really wanted solved, she's been working on it forever, that is Dr. Kathy Taylor, who's a forensic anthropologist in King County, Washington, and she has been seeking the identity of Jane Doe B10 for almost 25 years. Wow. So that's cool. Also, I didn't, I mean, it makes sense. I'd never really thought about uh, somebody being a forensic anthropologist, but how cool is that job? I love it. I would be so interested to do something like that. These are the, like the jobs you never knew existed, but if you knew that they existed back when people used to ask you what you wanted to be when you grew up, (laughs) I might've chosen that, you know? God. And like the jobs they tried to push you in, in those, like the, like testing in high school, it was always like art teacher, not there's anything wrong with being an art teacher. Like, but it was like veterinarian and like, but it's like, that's the only option as a creative weirdo, (laughs) like you're an art teacher then. Yeah. And like, none of it ever made sense, but God, if I had known some of these careers were out there, I think my life would have taken a very different path. Absolutely. Maybe it still will. (laughs) Yeah. It's never too late to start (laughs) go become a forensic student (laughs) join all the 20 year olds I'm sure it'll feel great yes (laughs) yeah no problem (laughs) that's like every time I it's been a while but like when I go take like a bar class or something and I'm like a nearly 40 year old woman and they're with 20 year olds and I'm like dead in the first five minutes like like can't keep up oh my god it's so traumatic (laughs) I've had the back to school feeling a few times because like I actually dropped out of high school as well and then tried to return to high school when I was like 19 and go back to class I was like I'll just go back to class and do it like normal kids do and like a week in I was like oh god (laughs) and then like it happened again 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 every time I joined a class or had a new training something it's like everyone was 20 and I was just older each and every time (laughs) like this doesn't get better Uh, Like I'm just in that stage of life where I'm here to dish out unwanted life advice. (laughs) (laughs) When you're old like me, you'll know. (laughs) Listen here. Yeah. (laughs) Drink some water. Go to bed early. (laughs) I'm such a bitty. Hey, you earned it. Well, so let's get back to uh, Dr. Kathy Taylor, who's a dream guest for us to have on this show. Let's try to do that someday because she sounds amazing. Oh, yeah. I'd love to meet her. Right. So she extracted DNA from the bones of the remains. And then the DNA Doe Project used this extracted DNA to develop a familial genetic profile that helped King County investigators identify the remains. So as a side note... You should absolutely help support the DNA uh, Doe Project if you're able. They do such amazing work of trying to put faces to uh, names, to faces basically of people who are found unfortunately murdered or dead uh, and trying to identify those people. So it's a really cool project. And I was actually thinking as I was researching this that we should host a benefit for them soon. Yeah, that'd be a great idea. Maybe that can be... um the next place we donate our trivia earnings if we do a trivia night again could be cool let's do it all right it's very cool and i love them so much so the team used this dna to create a genetic sequence that the group then uploaded to genealogy sites like gedmatch 
Am I saying that right? Jed match? Is that right? I'm not sure. I, I, I always say GD match, but I don't know. <laughs> okay. That might not be correct. Let us know if we're wrong, please. <laughs> Jed or GED <laughs> yes. match. We're not quite sure. Um, but they, uh, they use that site and family tree DNA to search for potential relatives. I'm not a uh, genealogist, obviously. I am no one, <laughs> so I don't know exactly how this works. <laughs> but the team then built out a family tree in search of common ancestors that led to basically what they call the smoking gun couple in this case, which was the families or the girl's parents. So this is cool. As it turns out, the girl's mother has never stopped looking for her, no surprise, and has Aww. been so intent on finding her daughter that she actually uploaded her own DNA to JetMatch in February of 2019 in hopes of finding her daughter. Wow. So this is super, super sad. It's a worst case scenario, but it's still really kind of cool that she was able to do that and that her DNA helped get her identity discovered. So she helped I mean, solve this case kind of unknowingly. Yeah. It's, it's really nice to have closure. I'm sure regardless of how it turns out, I mean, it is the worst case scenario, but um, well, almost the worst case scenario, worst case scenario is just like living your whole life without ever knowing what happened, I guess, because like your imagination can be so much more gruesome than reality, even when reality gets pretty gruesome itself. Yeah. And I mean, this is pretty gruesome. I, mm. it's gotta be every parent's worst nightmare to have mm -hmm. your kid get upset with you. And, you know, we don't know the backstory. We don't know why she ran away from home. Um, mm -hmm. but to like have your kid run away from home and then they get caught by a serial killer and murdered. Yeah. Like that's, that's awful. Like It's another Jesus. thing that's like really reminiscent of what we were talking about last week with the Night Stalker documentary where um, the lady was like, oh, I warned my parents to lock their doors and they said no. And then they got got by the Night Stalker. It's like the same shit. You'd be like, no, uh, teenage daughter, don't run away from home. You'll get caught by a serial killer. And she's like, right? too bad, mom, and runs out anyway. That's ugh, ugh, worst, worst. It's so heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. It's just so sad. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess it's like, you're right. The only way this could be worse is if she didn't know that that happened and she's yeah. still looking for her, not knowing that her like poor sweet baby had been killed at the age mm -hmm. of 14. It's so sad. Mm. So the victim has now been identified as Wendy Stevens. Um, and as I, I guess I sort of spoiler alerted, sorry, but Wendy was 14 years old when she ran away from home in Denver, Colorado in 1983. Um, we're going to post on our social media, uh, as this is released, a side-by-side -side comparison of the composite sketch they had done based on um, just her skeleton, which I think is such a cool science. I remember watching, um, I don't know what the name of these artists is, like what their professional like role is called, but that um, have this as a profession. But I remember watching Reading Rainbow as a kid, mm. and they were doing this with some of like the pharaohs and stuff from Egypt. Oh, yeah. And they were like building you know like composites of their face based on their skeletal remains uh -huh. and it's so cool and so interesting um so they made a composite sketch based on her skull and we're going to do a side by side of her actual photo compared to that and wow it's so close that it's almost creepy like it's it's pretty amazing wow like the nose is similar like it's it's very close 
Um, so her body was discovered in March of the following year. So she was kidnapped. Or I'm sorry. She ran away from home in 1983. And then her remains were discovered in March of the following year. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were pretty badly decomposed at that point. Like I mentioned, it was just a skeleton. So they that's uh, how they had kind of guesstimated when she had been left and such from her um, state of decomposure. So. Um, Wendy is now thought to be the youngest victim of Gary Ridgway, who, as we know him, is the Green River Killer. So let's talk a little bit about Gary Ridgway, his crimes, and his victims. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to do a super detailed breakdown of all of his murders because there were so many victims. It's guesstimated at about 71, and it would be wow. hard for us to really get into that in just this one episode. And I don't want to take up all of Angelina's time and all of your time today. <laughs> so we'll talk a little bit more generally about his victims. So he admitted to the murders of 71 girls. And yes, some of his victims were under the age of 18. In fact, most of them were under the age of 18. Mm. I'd say maybe like three quarters. And also women throughout the 1980s and 90s near Seattle and Tacoma, Washington. He's only been charged with 49 murders. So it's unclear if there are other girls that were never found or if he's exaggerating. Um, But with his mode of the way he would dispose of bodies, it's definitely possible that there are more girls that we just haven't found yet. This is what I always wonder about, because, uh, you know, when we hear statistics like uh, they nab somebody and they say, wow, this is the most uh, prolific killer. And uh, and then there's a new most prolific killer. And every time uh, you look at the numbers, um, they all sound like a lot, you know, and it's like I feel like it's it's really hard to put your finger on the most prolific killer, because if he had killed really uh, in the 70s or 80s, is he the most prolific killer? Or is it just because he was only charged with 40 some that he's not, you know? Yeah. So he specifically targeted sex workers and girls in vulnerable circumstances, including runaways. Mm -hmm. And I'm a little bit uncomfortable using the term sex workers here because so many of the victims were underage. And to me, the term sex worker suggests consent. The traffic. Yes. Mm-hmm. Great. That's exactly right. So we're very, you know, we are very pro-sex work. Sex work mm-hmm. is real work, but you cannot give consent if you are under the legal age of consent. No. And in Washington, the age of consent is 16, which is very creepy. How does that still exist? I don't accept that. <laughs> the the legal age I don't accept of that like either. being a consensual sex worker obviously has to be 18. Thus, I don't know. Ugh, ugh. Children should not get messed up in that. So creepy. This guy yeah. is just such a creep. Yeah. So I also want to address that many of Ridgeway's victims were also girls of color, girls and women of color, including 17-year-old Cynthia Jean Hines, 16-year-old Opal Charmaine Mills, 17-year-old Dolores Laverne Williams, 16-year-old Terry Renee uh, Maliga, Maliga maybe, that might be Spanish, uh, and 16-year-old Pammy Event. And there were quite a few others, but I just was going to cover the girls specifically that were under the age of 18, which mm. it like anybody getting murdered is terrible, but somehow that seems extra awful. Yeah, for the parents, yeah. Yeah. Right. And it just like, it really does feel like I, I, I recognize sometimes giggle about 
the term, they had so much potential only being used for people when they're in high school. And then you reach a certain point and it's like, no potential they got addicted to drugs or this, whatever, we stop using it. And it's like, yeah. where do you say they didn't have potential? What line is that drawn? Um, and why don't you mention their prior 18. potential? Like they used to right? have potential. Is that not worth mentioning? <laughs> like, It's such a weird thing that we say. Like everybody has potential, y'all. You do too. <laughs> yeah. Even if you fucked up in the past, you still have potential. Yes. There's still time for you. <laughs> Says your old bitty friend Aurora. <laughs> so um, I just kind of want to touch on that because I think it's interesting that people still commonly say that serial killers tend to kill victims within their own race. Mm. Like, I'd like to know where that came from because it seems quite inaccurate to me. Um, so we have Gary Ridgway here, also Jeffrey Dahmer, Samuel Little, Richard Ramirez, Lonnie Franklin, who was the grim sleeper, um, Isai Sagawa, who was... I mean, it sounds like the statistics speak for themselves. Like, that is not a thing. Yeah. 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 So the um, celebrity cannibal in Japan and the Yorkshire Ripper um, all uh, stalked their victims that were various races. So it just seems really inaccurate. Like, I don't know where that came from. And I think that Mm -hmm. the problem with this is, is that we don't, we can't really string together a profile of a serial killer and, and, you know, string together who the victims might be as they start appearing if we have this wrong idea about serial killers. And that seems like a very wrong idea to me. Yeah. If there's too many stereotypes in place, there's avenues you're just not even going to go down because you would assume, you know, Right. So Ridgway lured his victims by approaching sex workers or girls who seemed to be alone and basically tried to seem nice and sympathetic. And he was quoted as saying, I would talk to her and get her mind off the uh, anything she was nervous about and think, you know, she thinks, oh, this guy cares, which I didn't. I just want to Mm. uh, get her in the vehicle and eventually kill her. Oh, my God. Gross. (laughs) (laughs) What a creep. So once he had his victim in his car, he would take them somewhere secluded, have sex with them, and then kill them by strangling them. Initially, he would use his arm from behind. Later, he started using various ligatures such as rope, fishing line, belt, extension cords, socks, or even T-shirts. The bodies were then dumped in the wilderness, usually nude and sometimes posed, which we know that... Um, that Wendy was posed in a fetal position. So that was true of her. Mm -hmm. He had the habit of dumping them in clusters in different locations over a period of time, usually near some nearby landmark or in the water, which is how he got the name, the Green River Killer. Now, one of the most frustrating things about this case is that Ridgway was on the investigator's radar from very early into his crimes. It's believed that his first murder was of Wendy Lee Caulfield in July 15th of 1982. And sometime in 1982, he was questioned by police after he had a sex worker in his car. He was also suspected pretty early into the investigation. He was one of their top suspects. And he even took a polygraph test in either 1984 or 1986. I've seen conflicting um, stories of when that took place, depending on the article. So I'm not exactly sure of that. Some say he even took two. I, I saw one article that said he took one in 1982 and another in 1986, which he passed. But it sounded like it was 
like he didn't really pass. They suspected something was amiss. And nonetheless, he stayed on their radar for all this time. But there apparently wasn't enough evidence to tie him to this or who knows. Too you much know, of a you know sociopath. That's the, if <laughs> yeah. you pass the polygraph, like you're just a sociopath. <laughs> that's Right. Yeah. That's a, that's such a good point. Like, I, I don't think that we should count so heavily on those. No, <laughs> because I would fail a serial killer. and I would fail every polygraph because I'm just like nervous, you know? So like the opposite of a, a sociopath, whatever that is. <laughs> as soon as I think something suspect, somebody suspects me of doing something that yeah. I know I haven't done. I'm like, uh, uh, and I'm, I'm giving too many exactly. details. And people always say you can tell if somebody's lying because they're supplying exactly. all these like, superfluous details. And it's like, I do that every day of my life uh-huh. about everything. I've Am watched documentaries liar? about liars and about how to spot liars and things like that. And when they start to point out the science of it, I'm like, no, 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 no. Cause like, I will do that when I'm talking to you about pancakes because I'm nervous about just having a social interaction <laughs> right. and there's no lies involved. Right. And it's just like, I'm touching my hair. I'm touching my face. I'm stuttering. I'm like, that's how it goes. Right. And then there's guys like uh, the Green River Killer that are just like, you know, stoic. So relaxed. It's just not fair. Mm. So um, along the same lines of him and his suspicious behavior, a victim in 1983, uh, I'm sorry, in 1983, a witness saw one of his victims or one of the victims in his car. So somebody after this woman was died was like, wait, I saw her with him. So like we know he was linked to one of the victims in 1983. And in 1985, a witness came forward and said Ridgway had choked her. She was a sex worker. So surprise, the police did not take her seriously and um, did not investigate that further. So, like, how many people did he kill, like, during this time when the police, like, had him right there? And, I mean, like, maybe we can say that they were amazing police and there just wasn't enough evidence <laughs> to tie him to it. There wasn't DNA then. But it's like, I don't buy that. Like, I was I don't like, know. that's I a good one. Police. That's an interesting concept. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's funny. Mm-hmm. No. So then fast forward to 1987. His house was even searched. So uh, at this point, they're looking for... Um, what's it called when they tie like fabric to a crime scene? Fibers. Fiber evidence, yeah. which now I think maybe doesn't hold up in court. So they're looking for things like that and stuff in 1987, but still mm-hmm. seemingly not enough evidence. At this point, they did take um, a DNA sample from him and DNA mm. evidence was not in 1987. It wasn't where it needed to be to actually do the test they do now that would have tied him to the crime scene. But this is kind of like the beginning when they know it will be something someday. So they did collect that information just in case. Good. So he was not arrested until 2001. And at this point, enter DNA evidence. It's now a viable thing. It stands up in court. We know what we're doing, at least a bit. And (laughs) uh, his DNA was finally able to be matched with semen recovered at some of the crime scenes. So that's how he was finally caught. Um, As I mentioned before, he was tried for 49 of the crimes, I think initially 48, and then later he was tied to one more. Um, He has confessed to 71 crimes and like, who knows how many there could be. Um, It's just so mysterious because he's dumping bodies and, you know, this one happened to be found 
by a dog, like the remains happen to be found by a dog, but it's, he was like disposing of bodies out in nature. So like there could certainly be more crime scenes that we've just never discovered. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of talk when you sort of research this. And I remember reading this in the Ian Rule book that Ted Bundy had actually helped find Bridgeway and he's connected to the case. Um, there's a lot of similarities between their uh, their cases, actually, because Ted Bundy was also active in Washington state. They didn't quite overlap on time, but they both would kind of be nice to victims. Ted Bundy, of course, as we all know, would sort of trick them by using a crutch or saying he need help with something to lure them in his car and dispose of them out in the woods. And his charm. Yeah, same kind of thing. So there's similarities. And I was curious to read more about how Ted Bundy came into play because I've heard so much about this. Mm -hmm. And I read some articles about it. And I honestly don't really think it sounded like he helped that much to me. Yeah. The first thing that came to my mind was like, oh, did he try and pin some of his murders on the Green River Killer? Because like if they're so similar and he's helping to find the guy. Curious. That's what I was thinking he was up to at first. But I also think there's a large element of Ted Bundy wanting to feel satisfied and like he was living, this is so gross, but vicariously through this new killer that's still out there and active. Mm. I think that he was enjoying reading about the crime scenes. And one of the investigators had mentioned that uh, basically that, that Ted Bundy was like, well, if I did it, I would do this. And he was like saying about going back to the bodies and basically this is so disgusting, but like um, jerking off like at yeah. the crime scenes, like whatever. And Ted Bundy used to do that. And so did Gary Ridgway. So he's like, well, you could go back and check it for that evidence, but they'd already collected it. So I don't think that that evidence, so I don't think this really helped them. It's but so I really interesting think Ted Bundy to think wanted to look this. at these case files. Uh -huh. Yeah. And I kind of feel like they were just playing into Ted Bundy's game. I think it's kind of gross. I don't it's think like, he helped. It really, it really asked a lot of questions in, in my mind. Like when I think about this, I'm like, geez, what is the, the dynamic between a couple of serial killers? You know, like is Bundy yeah. uh, jealous? Is he like, don't, you know, don't be pulling crimes like mine or like I did it better or like, what's the, you know, <laughs> what is the outlook? Like when he's helping to hunt this killer and of course he can't, whatever is going through his mind, he can't share it with anyone else that he is working with because, you know, it would sound off, but <laughs> I just wonder what he felt about it or what they each felt about it. Like the interaction there. It's just like, yeah, to look at another serial killer and be like, what a chump, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because we know that there are some serial killers that talk about inspiration for their mm -hmm. murders. Like we know that Richard Ramirez was inspired by Ted Bundy. We know mm -hmm. that um, Israel Keys was inspired by Ted Bundy. And so they'll sort of talk about that when they're caught that like they feel inspired, but you're right. This is a different situation where Ted Bundy has now been caught and he's in prison. And this is a guy that mm -hmm. hasn't been caught. So there could certainly be some and people active at the same time jealousy involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So I don't know. It's creepy. I, I read quite a few articles that suggested, you know, with like clickbait headlines, like Ted Bundy helped solve this case. Um, but mm-hmm. I could not find any tangible information where he actually helped investigators unless they're keeping that information withheld from us for some reason, which is a possibility. But mm-hmm. it didn't sound like there was anything useful. It sounded like he was just being a damn creep. Mm. So that's it. That's my story for today. I do want to thank this week's sources. Yeah, that's a big one. I hope I did it somewhat justice. I know it's it's so much to cover. I would have loved to have done a deeper dive into the victims of his, but... um, It could be its own whole podcast. (laughs) It really could be. And I actually listened to quite a few podcast episodes, like kind of like here and there. I was like, somebody's certainly Mm -hmm. done a deep dive. I couldn't find a podcast dedicated just to him, though. Someone like please whole, do like, it. Series. <laughs> I, I yeah, somebody listen. do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love to listen because, you know, there's been so many done on Golden State Killer, which I absolutely mm-hmm. understand. Mm-hmm. You know, he was caught so recently and um, and was such a prolific serial killer. And and like this, so there's so many out there, obviously, like maybe too many things are done on Ted Bundy and whatever. <laughs> but I would love to listen to an entire series that focused specifically, especially on the victims in this case. I think that'd be really yeah. interesting. So do it. Totally, totally. But um, so my sources were the Seattle Times, Q13 Fox and Wikipedia, Murderpedia, Crime Museum and Britannica. I also listened to um, Three Spooked Girls do probably the closest thing I found to a series. They do a two part episode on Green River Killer and it's wonderful. And if you all have not listened to Three Spooked Girls, they're just so great. Yeah. We love them. So we'd mm-hmm. love to do um, some sort of collaboration with them someday. They were on our YouTube show mm-hmm. um, maybe last summer enough. at some point. <laughs> I don't have a date, but it was not enough of them. And they're so wonderful. Uh, also, they have a, a fabulous TikTok spooky sleuth. Oh, yeah, she's so, so good. She's so like well done. My, my favorite true crime TikToker, I think. My favorite too. I love her. Yeah. <laughs> They're both so great. So go check that out. Their uh, episodes on this, they were both fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mine was a story of unspeakable tragedy from Indiana. Just before 4 a.m. last Sunday, folks in residential Indianapolis awoke to a great commotion. Many heard gunshots, which unfortunately isn't unusual these days in Indianapolis. In fact, this was one of several shootings that same night. But neighbors nearby to where these particular gunshots happened called it into the local police, the IMPD. So police arrived on the scene to the 3300 block of East 36th Street, where they found a 15-year-old boy suffering from gunshot wounds and were simultaneously dispatched to the 3500 block of Adams Street, where they found the bodies of six victims. What? Yeah. Those victims were identified as Kezi Childs and Raymond Childs Jr., a married couple who were both 42 years old, and their children, 13-year-old Rita and 18-year-old Elijah. Also killed in the house was Kiara Hawkins, who was nine months pregnant with a baby boy. Investigators haven't confirmed Kiara's relationship with the family, but word on the internet is that she was the girlfriend of Elijah Childs, the 18-year-old. Oh, my God. So Kiara had an Instagram where she had been posting occasional updates about her pregnancy. She was doing about a week. 
Um, so really close. And did they say if the baby made it? No, the baby did not make it, unfortunately. Um, when oh they when they God. saw this very pregnant woman on the scene, they rushed her to the hospital immediately. Uh, but unfortunately, both her and her unborn child were pronounced dead on arrival. So wow, just a week away from being born. So that's obviously oh tragic. God. Uh, now, authorities put out a bulletin looking for the couple's other two children who were not found in the home on Adam Street. Uh, it was a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old. So it was soon discovered that the 15-year-old boy that they found on East 36th Street with the gunshot wounds, that was one of those children. He uh, had been rushed to the hospital where he lay in critical condition. But luckily, he was still able to answer a couple of questions and help investigators connect the dots. As it turns out, it was his older brother, the unaccounted for 17-year-old, who carried out the attack. So, yeah, the older brother... Of course, there's some details here I can't mention, like the suspect's name, because he is a juvenile. But um, the wounded 15-year-old told investigators that his older brother had gotten into an argument with their father when he came home in the middle of the night after leaving the house without permission. So the boy then opened fire on his parents, killing them. And then uh, the kids who were sleeping downstairs obviously heard all of this happen, and the daughter... Rita, the 13-year-old, exclaimed, he shot them. And then, in the little brother's words, he came down the stairs with a Draco gun, which is a handgun that shoots rifle rounds, and started shooting. So while all of this is going on, the 15-year-old fled out the front door, trying to escape this carnage and hopefully get some help from a neighbor. The older brother chased after him, shooting. So it was those four shots that he shot into the streets that made neighbors sure that they did hear something and that they should call the police. So it was on Monday, just 24 hours after the shooting took place, that investigators tracked down the suspect. He was in Plainfield and they arrested him. And he's now being held in the Marion County Juvenile Detention Facility. Um, But he is expected to be tried as an adult. Wait, he's 15? He is 17. The The surviving oh, sibling is the 15-year-old. So he's in the hospital with gunshot wounds, but he's expected to, to survive. And the, yeah, the, the perpetrator is 17. Um, wow. It's amazing how easily I'm like, if you're under 18, you're not an adult. But if you just killed you're 17. six people and <laughs> yeah. you're, you're an adult in my eyes, like that's messed up. It's such a sticky situation. I'm fine with him being tried as an adult. <laughs> right. I, I mean, yeah, it's an adult crime. It's a very adult crime. And he is very close. He's on the line. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's important to send the right message to the community and to his family and to, you know, anyone w- watching what's going down. So it's a, there's a lot to consider when they're considering how to to try him, you know? Um, right. So last year, 2020, was a record year for homicide in Indianapolis. There was 215 Mm -hmm. murder victims, which according to an Indy Star analysis of IMPD data, was the most ever recorded in a single year. Um, Of course, 2021 is already outpacing the year before. They've had 21 homicides so far in Indianapolis um, since 2021 began. 
Um, so we right Does now it, like, do any kind of breakdown of like what type of crimes those are? Are they break-ins? Is it a lot of family annihilator sorts of situations? Um, well, actually, yeah. Right now, there there is a lot of family annihilators. And um, the breakdown yeah. is that the majority of them, the vast majority of them, is shootings. Um, so right. basically, and yes, they are mostly directed at families. It's been a it's been a weird year, um, but, you know, people are, are staying home is part of it. <laughs> so so their families, uh, unfortunately, take the brunt of their uh, aggression. Uh, any violent offender. Well, and it's you know? like, you know, there's there's formulas we talk about for serial killers. Like, mm-hmm. did they have a head injury? Mm-hmm. Was their family abuse? Like, was there mental right. health issues? And we talk a lot about that. But mm-hmm. um, there's also like profiles for family annihilators. Mm-hmm. Um, they do tend to be male. They mm-hmm. they tend to have some sort of mental health issue. And then mm-hmm. there's also like a financial instability that tends oh, to yeah. like there's like a, some kind of financial pressure. Like mm-hmm. uh, like they really skyrocket around Christmas, which is a really yeah. stressful Christmas time is financially a very for families. Time. Anyways, yeah. So I I can't say that I'm surprised to hear that this type of crime is on the rise right now while we're on lockdown. Nobody's mental health is good. Everybody's finances are just like garbage. But like, man, it's just so sad to hear these cases really get me. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I like there's so much to get into. Yeah. And you're talking about there's specific profiles for family annihilators. Um, The other specific profiles there are, of course, is for... um, gun violence um and things people mm-hmm. that are likely to offend with gun violence um so there right. there's a whole lot to sort of unpack and and dissect here and there's there's a lot of factors in an article by indie star uh which i'll link in the description of this episode they cite pandemic related devastation and heightened mistrust of police after the killings of george floyd mm-hmm. and locally in indianapolis uh i think his name is drejan reed um as major contributors mm-hmm. to the recent spike in violent crimes. So people don't trust the police uh, and people are are devastated with the pandemic. People are broker than ever. A lot of them, people are out of work. Pe- tensions running right. high. We're stuck in our homes with our families. And if there's any issues there, they are just magnified. So all those factors are major contributors to the recent spike in violent crimes. Shootings, as I said, were the most prevalent type of homicide that took place last year in Indianapolis. But IMPD Chief Randall Taylor's impression is that most were not drug or gang related. He said it was more just people upset about something that was posted on social media or a road rage kind of thing or arguing over a parking spot. Mm. So, you know, tensions are running high. People are feeling weird. And, uh, you know, this this is happening a lot more than usual. These are really dark times. Absolutely. So also in that Indy Star article, they talk about a 17-year-old kid who was shot in the leg last year. This kid's impression is that in general, people out and about in Indianapolis, even kids who are hanging out together and get into some sort of altercation, they just skip right over the heated argument phase or like the fist fight stage and they get out their guns. Apparently, IMPD's Crime Gun Intelligence Center confiscated around 300 illegally possessed guns in 2020. Wow. So gun violence and just just having a gun on hand and just pulling being quick to pull out your gun is is the culture at the moment, really, as far as I can understand. So um, scary from victims and authorities alike that that's the impression they get. 
Um, so gun culture as well certainly could have been a factor in this particular case. Um, I couldn't confirm this, but word on the internet is that one of the suspect's brothers had prior arrests related to illegal firearms and drug dealing. Also, uh, mm. Kiara, the pregnant woman who was murdered, um, she had an her Instagram handle was Kiki with a Glock. So what I mean to point out here is just that if guns and particularly illegal guns are commonplace and guns seem to come out at the slightest altercation, we can't be too surprised when this kind of behavior trickles down to involve more and more children and teens. It's just so sad. It's like she wasn't the one responsible for this. No, though. Like, ugh, no but it just baby. shows how much of, of course, you know, uh, yeah, there's no victim blaming here. It's it definitely has nothing to do with her attitude um, why she was murdered. But um, it's just it's just, uh, you know, Don't get a Glock. Nobody no, get a Glock. Like, no. And it's not cool. It's not I cool to have a Glock. It's not cool it. to be threatening with guns. It's just like if that's the culture around the home and this big family who obviously, for the most part, nobody wanted to hurt each other. But look uh, how out of control this got. So um, mm. when talk about gun violence gets politicized, some are quick to suggest that it's only mentally ill people who perpetrate these kinds of crimes and thus gun restriction laws should only apply in the case of a diagnosed mental illness. But when impressionable young people get caught up with guns, are the only two possibilities really that they're evil and should be tried as adults or they're severely mentally ill? Um, Like folks on the internet are really harsh about this. And I should stipulate that I'm referring to comments on actual news articles posted on news websites and comments on just by like random people of the internet. Those people are harsh. (laughs) Internet randoms often come down on us like true crime fans saying that we're morbid or it's exploitative. But people in the true crime community are usually so humane and considerate that I'll never see comments like this from them. But on news sites, folks were calling for the execution of this Indianapolis teen, like calling him flat out evil. And, uh, you know, it doesn't help that IMPD chief Randall Taylor himself described this case as like a different kind of evil before the suspect was apprehended. While the community still had no details about what had happened, just that six of their neighbors had been murdered. I'm not so sure that this was a case of a severely antisocial child who coldly went on a murderous rampage. And I also haven't heard about any history of mental illness. But of course, we still know so little about this teenage suspect and so little about the family's yeah. history and the events leading up to the shooting. Again, you know, there's a lot to unpack here. The pandemic, the resulting social and financial troubles has tension running at an all-time high. We definitely do need to put a focus on mental health and social support now more than ever before. Um, Seriously. But there's so many layers to this. Yeah, it is complicated. <laughs> we are staring at a veritable explosion of murder statistics. While we're glad to report on cases closed and solved and brought to justice, we are just horrified to read about new mind-scrambling murder stories every day. Like, just look at how many true crime podcasts there are out there. And clearly, it still wasn't enough. Like, y'all held room for us still. (laughs) So... And and I yeah that's it. It's like I feel like we kind of have a unique vantage point on some of these things, and you all mm-hmm. can too. Just going to our website, mm-hmm. like because we're just covering true crime news and not other stories. I can't believe how many different stories our writers come up with every day um, yeah. that they find that hasn't been covered before on our site. 
like we are like just at such a high, like a high peak for violent crimes and kidnappings and things right now with Mm -hmm. the pandemic. Like it's just, it's really sad. Like I get so sad sometimes when I go to our website and yeah, you know, some of the articles are more brutal than others. Sometimes we have like a good news kind of thing. Like somebody was found that was missing Mm -hmm. or like things like that, but it's not like completely terrible. I love it when those happen, but like, Overall, it just like it's so sad to hear that there's like so many awful things coming and we're not even scratching the surface. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I mean, I love murder podcasts and movies and books as much as the next guy. But like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I just think it's uh, astounding how there's like hundreds of different murder podcasts and it's still not enough. You can listen to all of them and get new information from each one. There's just so much material. Yeah. Um, On our YouTube show, Aurora, you talked to... um you interviewed a lot of different podcasters. Um, we found that there's like so many disturbing trends that need to be addressed and remedied. And there's just like a specific, super specific podcast for each one of these trends. Like you talk to the folks at military murder who have a podcast of course about murders in the military. There's fruit loops who we did an early feature on who focuses on serial killers of color beyond the rainbow, which focuses on crimes that affect the LGBTQIA community. Uh, Anything else off the top of your head? Um, that's it. There's there are some, you know, like others in those categories, like mm-hmm. for military murder. There's also Zero Dark Murder, who is mm-hmm. absolutely wonderful. She's oh, yes. fabulous. She served in the military also. Right. Um, and Tipsy Mysteries is another LGBTQIA uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that sounds like a pretty like you nailed it. And um, it's interesting because when we first started kind of deciding what features we would have on our website. We were trying to decide like monthly what things should we have. We wanted to feature murdering no makers and we wanted to feature podcasters. And mm-hmm. at first we were going to do podcasts as a once a month feature on our website. Right. And as I started connecting with more and more podcasters, I was like, there are so many and there's so many high quality podcasts that share the same values as us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, our initial fear was that like this podcast might be racist or this or that. And like, you know, maybe it's toxic Not male masculinity or like, yeah, yeah. But there, there's so many good ones. And we're like, can we get 52 in a year and 52 next year? And I was like, I think we can. Yes, yes, we can. <laughs> Yeah. So there's such a variety and you're right. Like very specific and very necessary. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, please go listen to all of the podcasts that we just mentioned and then please get in touch with us and let us know what podcasts we missed that we should be listening to. Cause as I said, like we, there's hundreds and we still can't get enough. <laughs> so point us in the right direction. We want to hear them all. Anyway, uh, violent crime and murder isn't just spiking in Indiana. It's been a rough time across America. And mass shootings in particular hit a record high number in 2020, according to the Gun Violence Archive. What? In fact, by August of 2020, the number of mass shootings had already surpassed that of the previous four years. Oh, my God. Exactly. So while outlets like Bloomberg.com and BBC News happily reported early in 2020 that one silver lining of the COVID-19 pandemic was fewer murders, as the LA Times reported when the year went on, those early projections just unfortunately were not true at all. 
AP News snuck in a confusing article at the end of 2020 that explained that the number of mass shootings that happened in public, such as workplaces, schools, at church and in movie theaters, that number was lower than recent years. This is obviously because in 2020, folks went out into public less often. And uh, for part of the time, at least, a lot of places were on lockdown. (laughs) Well, (laughs) there there were definitely more moments where people stayed home in 2020. Not not enough moments, but (laughs) it was... Stay home, y'all. Just stay home. (laughs) Please keep staying home. Just, yeah, it's not over yet. Um, But the mass shootings kept happening. In fact, more than ever. They were just taking place behind closed doors. So folks were just killing their entire families. Wow. Uh, What's more, as the Wall Street Journal reported in December of 2020, while homicide rates are on the rise, solve rates are falling, which police attribute in part to the challenges that the pandemic poses to an investigation. News website The Trace has pointed out that while Donald Trump has tried to paint the Democrats as soft on crime, his crime busting efforts have been concentrated on quick increases in arrests and federal prosecutions, which evidence shows does not correlate to a long term reduction in violent crime. President Joe Biden I still like saying this, Uh, (laughs) promises to increase restrictions on gun access, which is a step in the right direction. But of course, he rejects the idea of defunding the police, which addresses the other half of the situation. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully with Biden's changes to gun laws in combination with social supports and pandemic relief efforts, we will soon see a decrease in violent crime and mass murders. Uh, Another thing I want to talk about relative to this case is just about kids who kill their parents or families, because as you mentioned, you know, there's there's specific profiles for each of these very specific crimes that goes on in the world. Um, And kids that kill their their parents or families is an issue all its own. It's not a new issue. Though not much seems to have been written about it since, an old Psychology Today article that I found stated that between 1977 and 1986, more than 300 parents were killed each year by their own children in America. Oh, my God. Um, Psychology Today explained that when children commit parricide, the killing of their parents, it's because they don't see any way out of the situation that they're in. They don't feel like their parents are there for them. Um, statistically, only a very small number of children who have killed their parents or families were experiencing mental illness or were very severely antisocial. Most are actually just victims of abuse. In many cases, um, the kids are abused by their parents or family members, while in others, the kids are abused by someone outside the family circle, but they're distraught that their parents hadn't protected them from harm which is their parents' that, job as I, they see I it. I can understand that. I absolutely, you know, obviously don't, I'm not here to say that that's okay. No. Um, but I can understand being in that dark place. And I feel like, you know, when you're a teenager, you, your brain's not formed and everything no. seems so immediate. And like you, I, I totally get it. You know, and it's like you grow up and like the older you get, there's actually like studies on the older we get, 
the the longer a minute seems or the less mm-hmm. long a minute seems. And there's actually yeah. like studies about like guessing when a minute is like at 10 years old, 20 years old, this, whatever. And like yeah. the older you get, like the more you can be calm and sort of realize things aren't permanent because you know you've yeah. gone through cycles in your life where things seemed bad and they've gotten better mm-hmm. or maybe they're shitty. I don't know. Maybe they didn't get better, <sighs> but like you kind of can process that. But you look that, at it differently but also and you get tools to deal with it. Your, your ability to gauge time changes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And God, I just remember feeling so volatile as a teenager. You yeah. really just think like every romance is going to be for life and everyone that yes. ends you going to die and everything just seems like it's forever. And it's not like every <laughs> small drama is the biggest issue in the world. And that's how everything feels when you're a teen. I remember that, too. And I think it's really important to consider that when we're talking about trying a teen as an adult because at 17, I mean, those yeah, hormones swirling around this. No, I mean, it's it's difficult because like there's a lot of people to consider. These are victims who are they've lost their lives. And even the boy yeah, who it's, uh, it's is tough. wounded, he, his whole life is forever changed. He lost his whole family. And, uh, you know, it, that needs to be addressed, too. But where they're coming from is definitely a complicated place. And, um, interestingly enough, I read that there's a statistic, like, um, most people think when you think about child abuse, most people think that it, it, uh, predominantly affects young children. And that's what most people, um, you know, want to do something about, but the bigger statistic is that teenagers get abused far more than any other age child. Like they just, they, they bear the brunt of it. And, um, it's part of, you know, they're hormonal and weird and difficult and, you know, people take it out on them or, or, you know, give it back to them and uh, things just get complicated. Um, so the massacre of the child's family is actually a little reminiscent of an older case, uh, the case of Charlie Brandt. So Charlie also lived in Indiana when at 13 years old, he opened fire on his father and pregnant mother, but he was stopped in his tracks when he tried to shoot his sister and his gun wouldn't fire. So his sister talked him down from murdering her and their twin baby sisters and then escaped to get help from some neighbors. The father also survived with injuries, but the mother and her unborn baby unfortunately did not survive. Charlie Brandt underwent psychiatric evaluations, but no evidence of any serious mental illness was found. Because he was too young to be tried for murder under Indiana law, Charlie spent just one year in a psychiatric hospital, and then he was released to his family. His family just decided to never speak of it again, and the younger sisters grew up believing their mother died in a car accident. Then in oh 2004, God. he stabbed his wife and their niece to death and hanged himself in the niece's garage. Oh, my God. Yeah. Investigators marveled at Charlie's efficiency in killing his wife and niece, as well as his secret obsession with human anatomy, which they discovered after his death. Gross. And it prompted them to look into the possibility that he had committed other murders. Since then, the police have linked at least two other homicides to Charlie Brandt. So basically, oh my after, God. Yeah, after he all but got away with attempting to murder his entire family, he grew up to be a serial killer. Just something to think about. Oh my God. I, his name sounded familiar, but yeah. I, I, okay, that's interesting. I'll have to look more into him. That's fascinating and yeah. awful. And, and so many parallels, but like what's most interesting, of course, is just how 
how his case was treated and, um, you know, what became of that. This is another thing that just points out how crucial it is to make sure that we treat these cases accordingly and, you know, the punishment is appropriate. And, uh, (laughs) you know, that certainly wasn't appropriate. It didn't work out. So hopefully this one works out differently. Uh, Of course, the case of the child's family massacre is still ongoing. Time will tell what kind of punishment the courts deem acceptable for this teen shooter. Authorities in Indianapolis and across America are brainstorming ways to reduce murder rates, including police reform, gun control, mental health support, and social initiatives. So just as we're trying to bring down the numbers with this coronavirus so as to not overwhelm the community with outbreaks of COVID-19, we're also hoping to flatten the murder curve in 2021. All the articles I mentioned in today's show will be linked in the episode description, of course. Um, Let's get to something lighter. (laughs) Uh, Yes, please. (laughs) uh, What are we watching? Well, I had probably my best light watch, not murder related of the week. I breezed through this in a couple of days. My husband was watching it with me and then he went away for the weekend for like a location scout and got back and was so mad that I finished it without him, but I couldn't help it. Bling Empire. Have you watched this? I have not heard of it. Okay. It's on Netflix. <laughs> it is okay. basically, it, it's really trashy TV. I love Ah. things like Real Housewives. I'm a dirty little trash panda TV watcher. (laughs) Like, I love all of it. And (laughs) it's basically real life crazy rich Asians. Mm. And I'm all for eating the rich. You know, like, I, I think it's so fascinating that I like these shows so much. And I think it comes from, like, being raised in the 80s with lifestyles of the rich and famous and whatever. Like, mm. I think it's disgusting. I think, like, wealth should be distributed. Like, I'm not, like, saying that this but is great. But you just can't look but... away. <laughs> God, I love watching rich people. And this show... So it is like one of those shows, but it has a lot more heart than like Mm. Real Housewives. Like Real Housewives, I admit, is just totally mindless. Mm. This show is so interesting to me because they kind of, they dive into, Mm. you know, like cultural things about being from, you know, like some of them are Korean, some of them are Chinese, like being different places like in Asia, like living in the U.S. Like they get Mm -hmm. into some of that. Um, One of the people on it, Kevin, who you cannot help but love. He's like this, like very handsome model. He was adopted um, from Korea as a child by a white family and was raised by uh, like these alternative parents. And so he's trying to look for his parents now. And I don't want to like give any like have any giveaways but it's very heartbreaking. There's like another girl's trying to find her dad. And like when you get to her episode, when you find out like what's going on there, I dare you not to cry. Like Aww. it's an emotional journey. It's so good. Like it's just, it's really wonderful. Is this being made uh, like at the moment? Or are you, are you sort of watching this in in real time? Like uh, I asked because reality TV has just such a different layer to it lately with the pandemic. Like it's so strange. I don't watch a lot of reality TV, but there's some things like I'm really into uh, RuPaul's Drag Race and there's a new season now for the US and the UK. So I'm watching both. And each episode I'm trying to spy like, how are they doing this with the pandemic? And like, I don't know, do they all stay together in the same 
home? Uh, are they in their bubble? Nope. Like, I don't know how they do it. No, no. they just don't care. <laughs> Scary. I know that they're not doing that for a fact because of my love of Real Housewives. I know that they were filming Real Housewives of Beverly Hills um, like over the past few months. They should be filming right now. And they might be mm-hmm. even with California's like severe lockdowns, which I think yeah. might have just been lifted. Um, mm-hmm. But Two of the castmates, Kyle and Kathy Hilton, her aunt, got COVID while filming. And so they had, Mm. oh, no, Dorit. I think maybe three. Dorit, (laughs) Kyle, and maybe Kathy Hilton got coronavirus, so three of them, and they had to stop production. I promise you these, like, white privileged ladies are not staying home and quarantining while they're filming. I think it's real sloppy, and I don't think it's a great idea. Um, I don't think it's smart at all. Yeah. But I think with this show, I gather that it might have been recorded before lockdown, but I have no idea. I'm honestly not sure. It's so hard to tell when they just act like it's not a thing and just don't even mention it on the show. And you're like, but wait. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and at some point they get on a plane to Paris and oh, I'm like, certainly my goodness. It, it was a pride. It was a private jet. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> which yeah. Like, is very wasteful, but luxuriously like, but, safe, I guess. Yeah. So I really don't know. That's a good question. I think it's it's a interesting thing. Some of the shows they kind of um, showed them panicking at the beginning of lockdown and then kind of getting more comfortable. But I'm not sure what's happening. Yeah. So I just wanted to also mention that the star character of this show is Anna. For anyone who's watching it, she's like a real life Moira Rose. Ooh. Like she's so eccentric and like quirky. Um, she's very like sweet, but grounded, which Moira is not grounded at all. And she has this great motto that she's not like listing to show off. She's just talking to one of the women on the show who unfortunately is dating a very abusive partner. And I oh. think everybody in the Murderino, uh, you know, like community that watches trashy TV like myself is like, why are they even, sh- like, I get why they're showing it on TV, but she needs to leave this guy. Like, it's terrible. Yeah. And I get that when you're in a relationship, it can be volatile and it's scary to leave and that they're manipulating and gaslighting you all the yeah. while. So I don't mean to blame her, but God, I'd love to see her leave him because he's so trashy. But Anna is trying to get her to leave this guy. Wow. And her, like, saying that she uses a couple times during the show is, life isn't a dress rehearsal. Like, True. you've got to do this and you have to, like, live in the moment and do what brings you joy and do what makes you happy. Like, you can't being this back and forth with a bad partner like life is too short and I just love that she says it and she says it in such a sincere way that I'm like yes Anna yes like she's great (laughs) it's so sad to see that happening in real time on on television and it's like I really hope that she does leave him because then she'll have always this uh memento of looking back at it and being like oh shit yeah that was out of hand like good thing I left and not you know just embarrassment and still being there. Like, I really hope that the fact that this is so public does encourage her to look out for herself. And he's kind of a celebrity already. He's an actor. He's, I guess, the Red Power Ranger. Um, Wait, no, 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 no. Okay, there has to be a curse with the Red Power Rangers because I don't know if (gasps) you've heard about, there's two other Red Power Rangers. 
Yeah. One of the Red Power Rangers was a murderer. I think two other Red Power Rangers were a murderer. Oh my One of them God. was You're an right. accidental sort of murderer. And the other one like decapitated someone. <laughs> like there must be a Red Power Ranger curse. I have heard this and I forgot it was the Red Power Ranger. But this wow. guy is the Red Power Ranger. I'm 90% sure it's the red one. Ew, he's definitely a Power Ranger. They should retire and he's the Red Power Ranger. Human. We he's don't want so any more Red gross. Power Rangers. Ugh. None. None <laughs> more red. Maybe like a mob. Maybe. Yeah. Invent a new color for the Power Ranger because we are done with red. Yeah. <laughs> purple. I don't know that yeah. there's a purple one. Yeah, Let's there should be. There you go. I vote purple. <laughs> How about you? What are you watching? I actually watched some of the stuff that you told me about. Um, the best one was Promising Young Woman. Yes. This movie, I watched it this morning when I woke up. <laughs> and <gasps> it's amazing. It's so, so, so good. I really loved it. It's really good. And you all have to watch it. Go watch it soon because it's probably going to be nominated for several Oscars. The nominations have not been announced yet, but I found out about this at first. I was looking for movies to watch on my long flight to Budapest. And this was on a like Oscar guess list kind of thing. Like they're trying to predict Mm -hmm. the Oscars. So I downloaded it. The next day I was on Instagram with our true crime friends. And I saw like four people mention promising young woman. And I was Mm. like, okay, I have to watch this immediately. So to kind of sum it up, um, it stars Carrie Mulligan. She's fantastic. She was in Mm. an education suffragette. She's been in some great things. And um, basically her best friend in college was drugged and raped in a like really gross situation. People were watching and knew about it. The university ignored it and basically said, you could ruin this young man's life if you pursue this kind of Mm. nonsense. So they chose to ruin the woman's life. (laughs) That's the obvious choice. (laughs) Yes. So it's a statement about rape culture and especially rape culture on universities. Which is huge. And it's cool. Yes, very big deal. And um, so the plot basically is that Carrie is getting revenge on the people that took part in raping her friend, but also she's educating others about rape culture in a very interesting way. Anyone who didn't care, anyone who saw it the wrong way or didn't get the right perspective, like she makes sure to turn that around. This is the kind of vigilante justice that I can get behind. Like I hate, I hate vigilantes. I hate it. I'm not into it. And like, you know, we've talked about the death penalty and just like, I don't think that anyone should have any say over someone else's life. Like this person deserves to be murdered because they've murdered someone or whatever. Uh, So generally I don't like vigilanteism either. But when it comes to sexual assault, which all of us have like very frustrating stories we can tell about either ourselves or our friends or whoever we knew that experienced this and they, you know, they never get justice. It never, ever, ever turns out the way you want it to. And even if they get some shred of justice out of the situation, there are so many disturbing comments involved. It's just like every single sexual assault case is just maddening. And and it's true yes. that they always do just say, you know, we got to give this man the benefit of the doubt and not ruin his life. Right. And we forget that, you know, women are 
people as well. And they also have lives which can be ruined. So that, you know, yeah. unfortunately, uh, y- we don't get justice from the, the courts. We don't get justice from, you know, reporting things to the police. So when it comes to sexual assault, I like to see a tough lady like this Carrie Mulligan character yeah. taking it into her own hands because absolutely this was a roller coaster. It went all over the place. And there were moments where I was like, oh, no, wait, don't do that. <laughs> but like, uh, you know, yeah, I wasn't sure how picture. far it was going to go. <laughs> Yeah. And for a second, I thought, what's the Christian Bale serial killer movie called? Uh, this is American Psycho. American Psycho. So yeah. at the first scene, I was like, is this going to be like the yeah. rape version of American Psycho? And I was kind of I excited. I thought too. maybe. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, OK, it's not going to be that, which is fine. But someone should mm. make that movie. Oh, yeah. If you're listening. I would watch that. Because mm-hmm. I would watch it. And I also just want to say that we're using the term like women and men loosely. Like we definitely yes. know that um, that non-binary people are more likely to be raped. Men can be raped. Like anybody can be raped. So it's really the rapist that we have the problem with. Yeah, this is not a, right. yeah, a gendered issue necessarily, except for the fact that yes. obviously men are often the perpetrators in this situation. And it's usually cases that involve men as the perpetrator that are such a challenge, you know? So it's the, that's the typical. But we have a problem with all rapists. Yes. Any rapist is awful. If you are a rapist, we have a problem. We don't care what gender you are. You're terrible. (laughs) (laughs) The worst. But yeah, it was, it was, it was excellent. Yeah. So what else are you watching? For... Um, this week in true crime, we talked about Florida man murders. I, I only watched one episode of this so far. How about you? You know, I've got to be honest. I downloaded, but did not get to around watching it. Mm. I just, I meant to, and I got so caught up in bling empire. I could not slip away. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's just so much, uh, at this moment and so much specifically that's either true crime or like thrillery, spooky stuff. It's really you know, a good moment for watching TV. <laughs> it's hard to keep up. And I do love a, a like wild Florida crime. So I'm definitely going to watch it. I'm looking forward to it. It's an oxygen. Mm-hmm. I, I will jump in uh, and watch yeah. that with you very and soon. And if you dig that um, to, you know, our fans, you monsters out there, if you dig uh, Florida man stuff, then uh, make sure to check out our website. Every Friday at this point, we have a, a Florida man Friday story, which is just some of the most outrageous stories that you've heard out of Florida. Um, So a new one for a new article each Friday, and we're making that into a TikTok feature too. So uh, if you can't get enough uh, weirdo Florida stories, uh, we got you covered. (laughs) Go watch Florida Man Murders and then check us out on Fridays. We want to hang out with you everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, just every possible every possible hangout avenue every possible platform visit us we're we're lonely we're desperate <laughs> we need your <laughs> your support um we just yeah. want attention so damn bad <laughs> 
So we also wanted to mention our book club, our true crime book club, which we have coming up this Sunday at mm-hmm. two o'clock PM Eastern. And that is on zoom. So it's very safe and obviously socially distanced. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a small group. It's a very friendly group. Bring a glass of wine, have a glass of tea. It's a very low pressure situation. You don't have to turn on your camera. If you just mm-hmm. want to come and listen the first time, no problem. If we you want to hang out chat. with you. Yeah. yeah, it's like, honestly, book club is my favorite thing in the whole world. I love mm-hmm. reading. I love talking about books. And when we thought of an idea to have a true crime book club instead of just a regular book club, it was the most perfect combination I could possibly imagine. Yeah. My world melted. <laughs> yeah. Well, the cool thing is, I mean, right now we get on our show and we're we've watched stuff. We've read stuff. We're talking about it. We're trying not to spoil it. We can't mention the the craziest parts of it all and just really, really talk, uh, you know, dig deep and and say what we thought because too many spoilers. So uh, that's why book club yeah. is fun because we can be like, oh, my God, that like it's the first time that we get the chance to mention the most Let's absurd thing that happened in the book. And really, yeah, exactly. Just spoil it up. <laughs> just <laughs> open it up and, you know, dissect it. Yeah. So our book for this month for January, which if it's a little bit too late for you to get in, no worries. If you're planning on attending, we'll kind of summarize it. We are reading Party Monster, A Fabulous But True Tale by James St. James, Mm -hmm. which uh, kind of covers the 90s New York City club kid scene, which is Mm -hmm. like such a fun, interesting time. And more specifically, it talks about the murder of Angel Melendez, um, and it's, it's really an interesting book. I, mm-hmm. last week you might have listened in that we were very bad and hadn't started, but I pushed <laughs> through this week. I am almost yeah. done. I'm very much so enjoying it. I was a child during the time when this took place, but I, um, certainly dabbled with some drugs in my time and mm-hmm. the like the chaotic like nature of this book and like ketamine and this and cooking mm-hmm. and this whatever it's it's like it's really entertaining it's very i mean i hate for to like refer to anything about a murder as funny but he's not making fun of the murder like he's making Just jokes the about scene the scene and, and, and building up to it and yeah. yeah and about meeting like michael uh you know for throughout the course of their histories overlapping in this scene. Um, It's just, it's really a fun, interesting read. So I highly recommend it. If you can't come on Sunday, read it anyways, or watch the movie if you don't have time. You know, let's keep it casual. Yeah, Uh I'm definitely watching the movie before Sunday because as we discussed last week, I couldn't remember. It is Macaulay Culkin (laughs) who plays Michael and who does not love Macaulay Culkin? Nobody. (laughs) <laughs> but the book you are wrong if you don't <laughs> exactly you're absolutely wrong and uh the book i i'm not as far along as you are but i definitely have started it and um what's fun so far is uh you know they're talking a lot about ketamine which um is more interesting if you have had any experience with it yourself. I don't have recreational experience with it, but I, interestingly enough, was given a pretty big quantity of ketamine when I got my wisdom teeth out. Um, So that's my my experience with it. And what's funny is in the book, James St. James is talking about how um, 
you know, it's normally used in veterinary practice and like, um, right. There's very certain specific instances where it would be used outside of that context. And I'm here going, well, I don't know. They just loaded me up with ketamine and took my teeth out. So like, you're I was all like in a hole. Like <laughs> I remember, I very much remember that day. And I like, I, it ended wow. by like falling down the stairs and throwing up and r- ripping my stitches. So like, oh no, things get wild. But yeah, I can <laughs> at least have a little insight about what it means to be high on ketamine. If you come to book club, we're all going to grill Angelina to hear her full ketamine story. It's a wild story. And maybe I'll tell one of mine. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all have a wild ketamine story? <laughs> I've only done it once and it wasn't that interesting. <laughs> oh boy. So yeah, just sum that up. Come to book club. Next month we're reading A Good Girl's Guide to Murder by Holly Jackson. That Zoom chat mm-hmm. will be on February 28th. Um, it They're almost always going to be at 2 p.m. Eastern time on Zoom mm-hmm. because I'm in a kind of a weird time zone. So that works for both of us. But yeah. come and hang out with us. We'd love to meet you. Yeah, go find us on Facebook. You want to search Murder, Murder News and join our Facebook group. And that is where you can find the invites to events like this, our regular book club. Uh, And get on board. You're not going to want to have missed this because this is already a super fun event every time we do book club and it just keeps getting better. So join us while there's space. It really is a good time. Mm. Yes. Well, uh, thanks so much for joining us for this, our third episode. Uh, If you can't get enough of this murder stuff, check out murdermurder.news for all the latest breaking true crime news. You can also find us on our YouTube show, This Week in True Crime. Our Instagram, where we are most active, is Murder Murder News. Our Twitter is M Murder News. Our Facebook that Angelina just mentioned, just look for Murder Murder News. You'll find our page in our uh, group. Please join us in our group. We'd love to chat there. Our TikTok is Murder Murder News. Pretty much just look for Murder Murder News and you'll find us. See you next week. Bye. Murder Murder.